0: live from the talking joe studios talking joe
1: talking joe is on the air hey 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 big spender why didn't you spend a little money at the cobra casino uh, and while you're there, why don't you get your brain washed? Uh, it's me, my host of Talking Joe, the leading dedicated Cobra themed casino podcast. If you are new to the show, you can find out all of the details over at the website, talkingjoe.co.uk, is that website. Now, today we will be looking at G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, issue 296, which was released the 3rd of August. 2022. It is the first part of an all-new, all-different arc called All In, and this arc is definitely not just a continuation of the last issue. Uh, Joining me, as always, to talk about it, it's a real American card counter. It's Tim Finn. Hello, listeners, and hello, Mark, and hello to
0: this stack of chips in front of me, (laughs) representing my winnings. At the metaphorical casino, which is just a figment of my imagination.
1: For the American listeners out there, Tim has got a big plate of French fries in front of him. <laughs> I thought a good uh, a good subtitle for this arc might be, "Arrive, Serpent, or arrive! <laughs> we've been waiting a while." Uh, that's uh, that's great okay there's been a few bits of news dropping in the uh, in the last week so i thought maybe we could cover some of those before we get to the meat of the discussion so comic book news <laughs> <laughs> pathetic chance for me to use my news jingle a second time sheer pathetic so out there in the world of social media we've learned a few things so diana davis shared a few example images of most of the upcoming issues like through to i think 299 so we know for example that andrew lee griffith and nito diaz are going to be working on uh future issues maybe uh maybe to give uh, SL Gallant a bit of respite leading up to the big issue 300 did did you uh, did you see those tim or did you try and avert your eyes so as not to have them spoiled
0: um i think i scrolled past them and noted like oh that's andrew lee griffith that is definitely not shannon gallant uh, gallant okay and i i don't remember what they were so they don't represent spoilers to me. So I, I saw them and then continued to scroll. Like noted.
1: <laughs> my my main observation is that I think we're going to continue to being sort of Cobra Island, Cobra Casino uh, specific specific in location for the next few issues. So we're not going to suddenly have a uh, the next uh, issue set in space uh, or, or whatever. I think we're gonna we're gonna be seeing this 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 storyline continue to uh, progress and be the be the focus. A lot of the uh, covers continue to drop. so I think out there in Internet land, we've seen pretty much all of the covers up to 299. Um, so that's quite exciting to, to see. Uh, again, Tim, do you try do you try and steer clear of the cover reveals or or is that spoiler free enough that you can uh, enjoy those?
0: I'm not going out of my way to look for them, but they do show up in my feed in my Facebook feed. Sometimes I will click on one and sort of take it in. But, you know, two thirds of all Joe covers are just exciting pinups or action Mm -hmm. scenes. They're not spoilers. And I'm okay seeing them, but I'm not I'm not seeking them out.
1: But I I also,
0: you know, I'm ordering them for my store. So (laughs) of course, I I do see them in like diamond previews or I do see them on the diamond website or the penguin random house website for, for comic book stores a- ahead of time, ahead of time, I should say.
1: There was also, there was an also, I think the, the first hint of an issue 300, uh, cover. I think we know one of the Jamie Sullivan is- issues. I think it's the the fifth part of the Cobra, uh, joined up cover, but, um, set of five, uh, but he also gave a little tease as to a GI Joe centric, uh, cover as well for issue 300, so I think we're going to see a big GI Joe lineup uh, from from Jamie Sullivan. Uh, and I've I've been uh, in discussion with Jamie, so uh, hopefully uh, he will be joining uh, the show to talk to us about all things Joe and his, his various covers uh, sometime before too very long. So that'll be fun.
0: What What other bits of news have have broken in the last week or two that you want to cover?
1: well, just at the at the time of recording, yesterday uh was Saturday of Farleycon in Chattanooga, and uh, there may have been a little bit of a reveal from Larry Hammer at his panel where he said that he was working on issue three hundred and one
0: but not for i d w he he said or we assume right. The news here is not that IDW had some reprieve or surprise renewed their license. The, the news here would be there is a new publisher.
1: Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they have secured Larry to continue the ongoing exploits of A Real American Hero, uh, picking up with issue 301. But until, until we see it carved in stone from uh, that new publisher, uh, let's, I think, sort of take it all with a tiny grain of, of salt because whether they call it issue 301, when it will be released, you know, whether it will actually pick up, you know, from the issue the events of issue 300 or, or will it be almost entirely a kind of new starting point, all of these things will remain to be seen. So exciting that that Larry is, is continuing, uh, but yeah, lots still to find out.
0: Is one of your uh, news items from the last week or two um, an interview with the actor Andrew Koji uh, at EW.com, Entertainment Weekly's website? Because I, I could cover that.
1: Go for it, Tim. Yeah, I wasn't going to mention that one, but but yeah. So, the stars. Uh,
0: so this interview dates back uh, almost two weeks. So this may not be new news, but uh, Andrew Koji portrayed Storm Shadow in the Snake Eyes movie last summer. And he is currently in bullet train, this movie starring Uh uh, Brad Pitt. And he's also the lead of this uh, streaming series warrior, which is in its second season. Now Um, it was on Cinemax. Now it's on HBO max, I believe. And um, uh, so the, the interview is not about the snake eyes movie, but it does come up twice. Um, And uh, the, uh, The interviewer asks him about being an actor, and he talks about uh, actors having different sort of categories, like introversion and extroversion. He says, personally, the best actors can do a bit of both. Um, And he talks about trying to sort of plan or like ride the career. And he he says... um, He says, uh, I sometimes think I was drawn to this for the art and the love and passion. And then the other side of this whole game is if you want to skyrocket your career, you have to play all these games and this social media stuff. Some people love it. I don't know if that's me. That's why sometimes I question, am I in the right job? I'm starting to see the balance between the business side and the art side. That was the thing with Snake Eyes. We were kind of going, who's making the decisions here? What film are we making? Are we making a film for the fans? Because if it's for the fans, surely we should do this and this and that. I think sometimes some of the producers are not making decisions that are based on integrity or the character's integrity or the story integrity. They're making it based just on money. It's turned this industry and this whole streaming thing into this cog machine. I think maybe the films we grew up with were a bit more special. I'm sure there was still a bunch of trash there at the time, I'm sure. But I think it still feels a bit out of whack. And then uh, the follow-up question is, uh, what was, uh, was that a benefit of doing Snake Eyes, learning more about the inner workings of this industry? And Koji says, what I hear is that it's important to get on your feature film thing as soon as possible. As soon as you get the thing, you do that, because then you're on some sort of list, or you've got some pre-studio deal or something like that. So that was part of it. I did actually like Robert Schwenke, the director. Uh, He's definitely more of an actor's director than a franchise or IP one. And I guess it did lead to Bullet Train, which then also led to a film I did with John Malkovich. And then I got the independent film I did after that. So somewhere when someone posted this on Facebook, I don't know if they were making the assumption or I'm not seeing it in this interview or there's some other interview I'm not seeing, but the idea was also... Uh, this actor is very unlikely to return to this character. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if we're sort of pessimistic about the Snake Eyes movie, we all knew or assumed there would be no sequel. And if there was, it would have different characters, it'd be a reboot. So of course the actor, Andrew Koji, isn't returning to this role. But, uh, you know, until a studio specifically says we are recasting or we are starting over again, that's actually not a guarantee. Because if, if Koji is contractually obligated to be in, you know, one or two or three more of these movies and Skydance and Paramount make another G.I. Joe movie, uh, then, you know, regardless of box office and, and critical attention to the Snake Eyes movie, Mr. Koji might have to be in a sequel. But yes, there there won't be a sequel and he won't be in it. <laughs> Back to you, Mark.
1: Yeah, and then I guess sort of... um. What's very obvious from that quote is that he, as an insider, is is there sort of questioning some of the decisions as they're being made. Like mm, this, maybe doesn't feel like the it's being you know honoring the the franchise or you know is maybe the best route. You know, it, what is the motivation here? It's is it sort of they're just trying to and go and we, completely you know mainstream rather than honoring the the story, the characters.
0: Yeah, yeah. We as uh, fans might. F- feel a little bit of whiplash because two years ago and a year ago before and leading up to the movie, we were seeing press from the people making the movie saying, this is great. We worked really hard. You're going to love it. And as sometimes happens with unsuccessful movies or franchise movies after the movie is out, plus some amount of time people involved in the movie, maybe say different things like, Oh yeah, we knew it wasn't good or oh, it was really hard because we weren't sure what we were doing. Or, yeah, I'm glad I made that, but I also wouldn't want to do it again. And that's both upsetting because you think, wait a minute, weren't, weren't these people saying, like, it's great, go see it, no matter what, go see it, a year ago. But also you think, yeah, yeah, I had a feeling maybe the people making such a movie weren't having a good time or were questioning some of the decisions, so I'm not crazy.
1: Total Film Magazine have got a uh, monthly, regular mon- monthly feature uh, where it's called of Hindsight Corner, I think it's called, where there's the, the quote from someone promoting the film just as it's coming out versus them a couple of years later when they're a little bit more free of, uh, of helping to drive healthy box office and being able to be a little bit more <laughs> honest about what they actually thought. So, uh, yeah, definitely a part of that. Cool so with all of that news caught up uh let's talk about uh issue 290 comic talk oh comic talk larry hammer writes them tim and mark discuss them whoa comic talk oh comic talk larry hammer writes them tim and mark discuss them whoa So, this is coming from writer Larry Hammer, artist SL Gallant, inks Maria Keene, colors Jay Brown, letters Neil Yutake, editor Riley Farmer, group editor Tom Waltz, and research specialist Diana Davis. Let's have a look at the covers in the gallery.
0: I'm going to talk about covers A and B and R.I., and I want to toss to you for that um, retailer exclusive. Um, So cover A is drawn by Shannon Gallant, and it is colored by Jay Brown. And there's a blue background, and Sean, as Throwdown, as Snake Eyes, is throwing a knife, a dagger, kind of at us and we, th- th- there's, this is a POV image, right? We, the camera, the viewer, the reader, are Laura, the Crimson Guards, uh, Crimson Guards person. Um, and coming in from the uh, bottom left uh, corner in the extreme foreground are two hands holding a pistol that is firing and shaking back in recoil. In the reflection of the knife coming at us, is Us, Laura's uh, shocked expression, (gasps) gasping that this knife is being thrown uh, at her. The pose on Snake Eyes is great. He's got his Uzi. Uh, His his other arm is swung around to let loose this short-bladed weapon. And between the two characters, Us and Snake Eyes, is a craps table. And then on the bottom, in this Art Deco font, it says, All in! Exclamation mark. Part one. I like this cover. I wanted to compare this a little bit to my comments from the previous cover where uh, Gallant and Brown drew and colored Serpentor in portrait, just head and a little bit of shoulders, holding one tiny prop. And my comment there was that I really like Gallant's storytelling and acting and fight choreography Uh, He draws well as a comics artist, as a G.I. Joe comics artist. He is, he's great. And last month I said, I'm not sure if he's a cover artist because I feel like a different artist could do this portrait of Serpentor and add something to it. It was missing some flair, some oomph, some pizzazz. And so here's an image which is immediately more exciting because there's action as as a as a storytelling composition this covers great right like that we can see laura that we can see ourselves in this reflection that's great in terms of sort of how it all comes together i'm reminded a little bit of this comment that gallant strength is less in the most exciting and evocative covers and more in the sort of ins and outs of panel to panel, page to page storytelling. And I have a couple um, comparisons. So part of my reaction to this cover is that even though this knife is being thrown at us, it doesn't feel like the knife is going super fast. And there are speed lines as sort of a a burst of, of surprise and reaction and recognition in the cover. But they're around the the bullet uh, firing, the the yellow flash that's under the logo. And you can't see these surprise lines very well because they've been colored as sort of light, light, light blue. And they kind of blend in with the medium uh, hazy blue of the background. And as a comparison, let me point you to G.I. Joe issue 42, the Marvel run. Uh, Mike Zek and Dennis Jank, or Dennis Janky cover. From, I don't know, 85. It's the cover where Storm Shadow is got his arms up and he's holding a sword and he's about to bring it down on a mystery silhouette head with a white question mark in it in the foreground. And that's not a cover with, with a, a lunging, hurling movement like this new one, 296. But there is a lot of tension in how Zek draws and puts shadows on Storm Shadow. And all of those lines act both as sort of a flash, the, the reflection of light off of the sword, and also the, the, the snap, the bam, the lightning crackle of, oh my goodness, this guy's got a sword and he's in this pose, right? So like 42 is all potential energy, 296 is all kinetic energy, but they're doing a very similar thing. And I don't know that it's as simple as, I wish Gallant had put a bunch of speed lines behind or around the knife and a bunch of speed lines might make it hard to see all the fun details in the green part of the craps table. But I do think a slightly different drawing approach, maybe not compositional approach, to this cover would give it the oomph that I think it is like telling me that it has, rather than that I'm feeling Uh, that it has. Small, awesome detail. Uh, There are two dice that are, have been thrown. I'm not quite sure from where, if Snake Eyes has thrown them at us or if Laura was throwing them along with firing her gun. Doesn't really matter. It's not a, and there's no third person who's, um, but the, uh, we we do, we do see Snake Eyes on these, these, this pair of dice that are in midair. So uh, good cover, almost a great cover. Okay, the other thing I wanted to say about this cover where I think it's slightly at odds with itself is um, comic book covers can just focus on characters and not worry about background. So the one I just referred to, Mike Zek, G.I. Joe 42, no background. I don't look at 42 and think, this is missing something. Where are they? And similarly, let's go back a few months. G.I. Joe 38, yellow background. Destro is pointing his pistol at Storm Shadow, who's in the foreground. It's 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 an over-the-shoulder shot, even though I know we're lower than Storm Shadow's shoulder. Yellow background, I don't know where we are. Inside, outside, dungeon, forest, hallway, I don't know. Doesn't matter. That cover is just about the dramatic showdown, the tension between these two characters, shocking and that it's two villains facing off, and how exciting it is that this violence is about to erupt because both have weapons. Pistol, wrist missiles, sword, right? And there's even a nice in 38 balance where there's a glare on Destro's helmet and a glare on Storm Shadow's sword. Okay, so here are two covers where I'm not concerned about background. Um, Shannon uh, Gallant has done something like 296 before, where there are two characters, no background, but a big middle ground prop. In this case, the craps table. And I'm thinking of 203. 203, it's got Zorana and Dr. Mindbender. And there's this dentist's chair with the like attendant light and the attendant tray. And I've never loved the cover. 203, I should love the cover to 203 because it's hilarious. There's this big oversized prop, the giant novelty teeth that around as bashing mindbender with it also refers to mindbender's old job he was a dentist and he experimented on himself right I should love this cover but there's no background which sort of confuses me it's like where are they I know you think like well of course they're in a dentist's office but 203 feels like it's not fully developed and 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 again as one more as one more a bit of contrast Shannon gallants covered to 202 where, Zartan and the Baroness are clashing with swords and knives in a spiral staircase in a, let's say, dungeon or stone castle. So there's a case where um, Gallant puts two characters with a background, and the background isn't like a distraction from the two characters. It's, it's completing the idea. It's completing the circuit. So I come back to 296, and... I don't know that I need like a busy casino behind snake eyes, but there is something about that blue. And then on the bottom right of the cover on the sliver at the edge, the blue becomes black. It's like suddenly the nothing, everything behind him wall question mark space becomes like floor. It's like, well, where would this, where would the craps table be? It's not up against a wall because snake eyes is there. So that's what I meant by uh, it's a good cover that's almost a great cover and it feels like two-thirds of a cover or four-fifths of a cover. That's, that's, oof, that's my long thoughts on 296, uh, <laughs> co- cover A. Cover B is drawn by Jamie Sullivan and colored by uh, Raoul Angulo and Audrey Sullivan. And all right, so this is the first chunk of a four or five-part connecting cover where we're going to see every single cobra character and this one's really fun for several reasons one the poses are all varied zartan is leaning a little bit to his his right and the sludge viper in the left excuse me in the front is leaning forward and to his left uh we have the giant robot from is it issue three in the back
1: Issue three trojan gambit
0: So again, great variety of poses. There's a frag viper all the way in the back who's got his fragging arm up. Not like he's lobbing, but like, you know, the way that if you're in the back of a photo, group photo, you might put your hand up like, hey, and then on the right side, there were two hiss drivers who were talking to each other. Great body language. One's leaning uh, with his arm up on the front. It's like he's propping his elbow on the front edge of the hiss, and the other's got his hand out, you know, like, hey, a bit of body language. Okay, here's the thing that I really like. There's two things that I really like about this cover. One, really nice coloring. Flat coloring, not gradients. There are there are hard edges, but any one color next to any other color is a is a is a small jump uh, in terms of a little bit lighter or a little bit darker. I guess there's a tiny bit of a gradient on one of the lampreys in the back center, the, the sun hitting his helmet. Anyway. Great sense of light, great sense of color in this cover. Nothing is muddy, nothing's hazy. Two, the other thing I like about this cover, where there are soldiers who represent a legion, like a, a, a viper, it's not an individual. It's not like major blood or Naugahyde. Naga hide. There are two lampreys, there are two hiss drivers. there are th- uh, excuse me, there are three lampreys, there are two hydro vipers. There's uh, two secto- three secto vipers. Two Toxo Vipers and two Toxo Vipers 2. And so Sullivan is not so subtly reminding us that this isn't just a ragtag team of a hundred guys, Cobra, that this is thousands and tens of thousands. And as a cover, as a multi-part cover, this doesn't feel like a weird slice of it or a composition that's compromised where someone's kind of front and center, but we also get someone's leg you know, and then on the next cover we'd get the rest of them. It's just a a bunch of guys guys and gals.
1: Yeah, um, what you what you will see as we we go on is that each one of these five covers is, is you know part of a wider piece, but it's also a part unto itself in terms of the characters being f- um, focused on. Will have a distinct theme. So we've got the focus on this one is Zartan and and the Dreadnoughts and and beyond that then there's a, there's also like a, a satisfying background which is its own part as well and so this one is uh, a pterodrome and and a, a histank in the, in the background so it's yeah it's designed as a part of a wider piece but also specifically to to work on its own as as well and it does yeah it does it to a good effect
0: two small criticisms and one plea uh, criticism number 1, the line weight on the pterodrome all the lines are thick and even though it's knocked back a little bit in color, it's not solid black, it's black with some blue mixed in, so it's a little it's there's atmospheric perspective, it reads as behind everyone. Um I think this was drawn sort of at the same size as everyone and then comped in and sort of blown up for scale and the thick lines of the pterodrome don't work for me behind the thin lines of the robot.
1: There's a little bit of a funny thing going on there with um. I think it's a firebat uh, pilot uh, that's on like the balcony of the pterodrome. Can you kind of just about what make that oh. out?
0: Uh under the under the N and eight under the H or hero, real American hero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's,
1: it's just a little bit too too small. Um and then sort of obviously the line weight is is sort of out of whack with, with everything.
0: Yeah, in, in inconsistent. Um, my other my other small criticism is that the 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 guns on the turret of that hiss on the right side, please, please cut out the blue stripe of the G.I. Joe <laughs> logotype. Let those two guns just come up above in front of the blue. Please don't don't cut someone's hand off, but or arm off at their wrist. And my plea is, whether it's Jamie Sullivan making a deal with IDW and/or Hasbro, or IDW making a deal with Hasbro, like prints and posters of this, and not some little thing at a convention where a smart artist can sell a hundred. This poster should be at stores. Like people would love this.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm sure. Um, I'm sure Jamie will be making a print available in, in some form as he has with his other sort of uh, multi-part covers. Um, yeah, well, hopefully we'll talk talk to him a little bit about it in the future, but I believe that the technique used here was uh, that um, he would draw each character individually and then uh, digitally sort of paste it together to, to, to form the full uh, lineup. And uh, yeah, he gave every, he gave uh, fans the opportunity to uh, have their pick of uh, characters so that they could then actually buy the, the single character uh, from this uh, from this lineup. I don't know if he's got any still left over.
0: It becomes sort of like a GI Joe Order of Battle,
1: mm-hmm. yeah,
0: where everyone gets drawn, and that art has made it out, and you might own your favorite character. Um cover RI for retailer incentive comic book stores in the direct market for every ten copies total uh, in any combination of A and and or B are allowed to also order one of Cover RI. It's drawn by John Royal and Jagdish Kumar and colored by James O'Frady. It's awesome. <laughs> So we're in the desert and I know that from a little bit of ground and rock on the bottom, that's beige and yellowish and desiccated and behind them the sky or the distant out of focus, let's say sand dunes is all, you know, beige and whitish and rushing at us are dusty outback. and on the ground, maybe not rushing, but offering support bunched in with them is low light Coming at them are one, two, three, four bats, and two of them are in the extreme foreground, uh, one from one at the top left and one in the bottom right. Two are in the distance on the left side. Oh, excuse me, three, because there's one in the negative space between- There's an extra one, yeah. uh, Outback's uh, thighs, right, which is a a nice use of- This is a great composition, right? We are immediately- Pulled in, it's dynamic, it's tense, right? And sort of without overloading it, there are one, two. There, there are two satisfying explosions. There are some smaller sort of flashes where bullets are hitting rock, uh, or, or uh, in the case of low light, his weapon is being fired. The fun sort of like fan pat on the head part of this cover is that one bat is using its flamethrower hand attachment. One bat is using its claw attachment. Uh, I'm trying to find if we can directly see if a bat is using its uh...
1: flame bottom left.
0: Okay, flames bottom left, and then, all right. So go, like, going back to the toy, what's the fourth one? What's the one that's not a hand, not a claw, uh, and not a flame? It looks and, like a, looks like the and thing that my dentist claw, puts flame on
1: my laser. I'd say
0: the one that looks like a weird, like. Three three plastic cups stacked. Yeah, that's a laser.
1: I don't know. That was that's what I interpreted it as. Okay,
0: right now, seventy five listeners who know the toys really well are upset at us for not knowing this.
1: But anyway, <laughs> I've always assumed it was a laser. Uh,
0: well, I was assuming. Okay. Anyway, so um, I think the thing in the bottom center of the cover is yeah, actually that. is that. But to m- me, the package art is the other attachment. That's the flamethrower. I think Royal has drawn what I think of as the laser or the like boring device, the like diamond polishing device. Anyway, doesn't matter. Cover is awesome. Okay, the colors are so gorgeous on this cover. Um, there is a, there's a really great sense of highlighting on Dusty's right hand, on his his right cheek, on the uh, the left side, his right, Brim of his uh, helmet, the left side of his goggles, right—that yellow highlight versus the blue aqua one on the other side. Um, Look at this triangle of light on on Dusty's left wrist and forearm. That little bit of his left wrist and cuff that's somewhat blocked by his weapon, right, and then it continues down onto this this leg that's on the bottom right of the cover, right, and that same light is also hitting. Low light on his forearm, his shoulder, his nose—it's so great. And then the two uh, uh, bats who are in the foreground—they're—they're they're knocked out in a, a a bluish brown that's got some reddish warmth in it. The the there's a wonderful arrangement of in this cover of light dark light dark light dark. And there's a wonderful arrangement in this cover of um lots of color like eye-popping color in the three guys in the center, and then two, like, cherries on top, the, like, explosion behind Dusty and the flame, the orange flame on the bottom. And then, like, much less busy, like, sort of beige-whitish sky background. And then the, like, dark, you almost don't see it because you're looking past it, sort of knocked out blue-brown-red of these bats on the top left and bottom right. This cover, if G.I. Joe was it a, a book about three guys? Like this could be the cover to a new issue number one. It is it is that exciting and that well done. And if you, you know, swapped out Dusty, Outback, and Lowlight for mm-hmm, Stalker, Scarlet, and Snake Eyes, or Duke, right? It's like, this could be a G.I. Joe number one cover. Um, if you want to put only three guys, not, you know, five or six or 10, I like this so much. I wish this team drew the interiors for, for some extra issues or backup stories.
1: And I suspect that actually this composition with Outback and Lowlight in particular, uh, came about probably from a suggestion or commission for a uh, super fan, uh, Russ Sheath, given that those are two of his very favourite uh, characters and that, uh, is somewhat uh, friendly with uh, John. Hmm. Um, he, 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 yeah, either commission or probably put the idea in his head.
0: One, one last little comment. Um.
1: Oh, oh, one, and 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 yeah, and, an, yeah. a, and a follow up to our earlier discussion. Just while you were talking, I was doing a bit of googling. Uh, the greatest consensus seems to be that those three cups stacked on each other is a laser hand. I've also seen people describe it as gun hand, which mm, I don't think is is accurate. Uh, and another one was energy weapon hand. So uh, I, yeah, the greatest consensus does seem to be laser though.
0: It, it's always reminded me of the tool that a dentist puts fluoride on and then polishes my teeth with twice a year. Um, my final little comment, um, Royal draws a slightly exaggerated Cobra bat in the sort of um, slim, kinetic, uh, acrobatic, sort of J. Scott Campbell mode. Um, Cobra bats in the cartoon are a little bit of, like they're very heavy and they're lumbering. And in the comic book, I don't know that that we've landed on a definitive portrayal. Um, These remind me a little bit of how, like Phil Gozier was drawing was it those outer space bats on the asteroid in the Star Brigade story around issue 1 uh, one, f- 148? Yeah. one yeah 148 and and I I say that because uh in this retailer incentive cover for 296 the top left bat where it's it's sort of chin is jutting forward and its head is stretching forward a bit off of this neck and then under it under that chin, there's this claw, you know, a different bat that's flying toward uh, Outback. And that claw is much more stretched out and angular than the the toy claw. And so there is, there is animation in the John Royal, J. Scott Campbell approach to drawing G.I. Joe comics characters. What do you think of the uh, Dave Johnson online exclusive cover, Mark?
1: it's it's the middle part and it does look more like a middle part um it's the the focus is dawn sort of leaping towards laura with mindbender so it's satisfying that you know it ties into the interior of the book but as a cover on its own i think it it sort of weakened by having uh roadblocks gun pointing in from the left someone's foot uh, which i assume is snake eyes and uh, sort of losing the the right half of Mindbender as as well. It still looks nice because it's uh, Dave Johnson, but I think it's it's slightly weaker for being the middle part of three covers as a cover in itself.
0: So um, I don't know if if the version that I'm I don't have the object in front of me. I'm looking at a, uh, an image of it. Um, is all of the blue on the bottom and the top? in the in the printed version is that a logo and and type or is that just is this a virgin cover with no logo uh, and
1: type? I, well i don't have the i don't have an image of the printed one in front of me but i would expect that it's virgin like um like the image that's shown on the inside front cover
0: okay because um part of what would help balance this middle part as its own freestanding cover is if there was a logo on all that blue on the top and some copy on the blue at the bottom. Yeah, I think I agree. We It's got
1: a, the space for it, hasn't it? It's been designed with a logo in mind.
0: Yeah, because there's, there's so much, you know, there's negative space, the sky behind the people, and then the negative space of this blue designy thing, which ends up being Cobra Commander's cape, right? Yeah, this is you know I, I said this before about previous connecting covers. I do like this image. If you had said to Dave Johnson, just do a single cover with Dawn and Laura and Doctor Mindbender and maybe a gun and a foot coming in, and a, a splash of blue at the top and bottom, I feel like there'd be characters coming toward us and a very different arrangement of characters and uh, negative space. So it's it's a it's a it's a funny compromise you get for making a. Horizontalish cover, pinup poster thing, and then chopping it into uh, equal pieces. But Dave Johnson can can almost do no wrong for me. Such a strong artist and designer, and his contributions to GI Joe are are rare. So you know, any any time <laughs> publisher bring him brings him back, bring him back.
1: <laughs> cool. So let's have a look at what happens on the inside of this book with a Plot Breakdown. In China, the year 1227, Genghis Khan, the greatest military leader the world has ever known, passes on. This Mongol is no more. He has ceased to be. He's expired and gone to meet his maker. He's a stiff, bereft of life. He rests in peace. His metabolic processes are now history, he's kicked the bucket, he's shuffled off his mortar coil, run down the curtain and joined the Bleeding Choir Invisible. This is an ex-warlord. Later, in the Cobra Casino on Cobra Island, the Joes are inside Dr. Mindbender's lab taking fire from a squad of Vipers led by Laura. The Joe team of Scarlet, Jinx, Throwdown, Helix and Dawn take cover behind Dr. Mindbender's equipment before facing a Cobra squad in close quarter combat. Meanwhile, the backup team of Rock and Roll, Gung-Ho and Roadblock make their way inside to support, making their way through a set of Cobra Casino bats with extreme prejudice. In Utah at the pit, Duke loads up the C-130 and launches a relief mission to evac the team. Will the Joes on the island be able to hold out for the three hours it will take for the backup to arrive? Back at the casino, Laura orders another push, and a stray bullet shatters the Bacta tank, freeing Genghis Khan from Mindbender's tank. As he steps out, Mindbender gasps, he's alive! Genghis Khan walks the earth again. Okay, Tim, um, we've been trying to keep things positive when we start off, so I'll go in with my top level, uh, which is keeping things positive at the same time. Uh, There is lots of action in this book. There's building jeopardy as the Cobra forces encroach on our Joes. And there is some absolutely great dialogue in this issue. And I will say that when I was reading this issue, I was doing so with a big grin on my face.
0: My initial positive statement is that uh, Larry Hama... He is an avid reader, and uh, uh, is interested in learning and politics and geography and history, and and you know religion and philosophy. Smart guy wants wants to stay smart, and I imagine writing this opening scene was um, fun or interesting for Hama because he got to either do a little digging or present some information to readers that he has found interesting in a way that, you know, a lot of G.I. Joe stories aren't history lessons. Here's a little bit of a history lesson. Mm-hmm. And yes, I agree with you. Um, snappy dialogue, this issue well-paced, exciting, and, and moves along uh, lots of good action. And um, feels like this issue had urgency, that maybe two issues ago or two issues ago, three issues ago together um, didn't have. And this issue does feel like something big is coming. I don't mean Serpentor or Genghis Khan. I mean uh, 300 or, or a, um, a big fight, or maybe not the biggest fight, but a, a fight with consequences. I don't mean someone's going to die. I mean a big, exciting fight. the the likes of which we've only seen a a few times in the series. And I'm I'm thinking specifically of um, page 14, where at Joe headquarters, Duke rattles off some code names of characters and is leading two teams or a team divided into people and vehicle drivers with vehicles and two planes take off. And I thought, Oh, this scene feels like issue 50, or maybe it's 49, which builds up to issue 50. This page feels like the Cobra Civil War. This page feels like, I think it's chapter four of Snake Hunt. I don't quite remember where all the Joes and vehicles are getting ready. And that's a thing that has happened only... It doesn't happen all the time in G.I. Joe comics. You know, oftentimes we've got a little team somewhere that's sort of already somewhere starting their mission and we're sort of coming in 20% of the way. You know, three Joes are in the in the forest in South America with binoculars looking at something.
1: I'll point to uh, another example as well. The hmm. uh, earlier on in the IDW run where there's that issue where Grunt is taken hostage and the Joes ship out to Sierra Gordo. Hmm similar yes. one, loading up the C-130 with a with team in.
0: Um, part of part of why I think we like these scenes. I think the other way of saying it, like, oh, this is like issue fifty. This is like the Cobra Civil War. A scene like this builds anticipation, mm-hmm. and th- this is not a fully formed thought. So I'm I might I might I might realize this isn't this doesn't work. But I think in in some of his writing. Hama builds anticipation in different ways because he's you know making it up as he goes along, and so sometimes a story is already a, a, a story that he he's bringing us to has already started. Here, here are four Joes in the woods in South America on a hill with binoculars, or you know here's a Joe eating at the cafeteria, and it's a new Joe, and we haven't seen them before. You know, so I think about X Men crossovers you know every every year or two you know several different x men titles will have for two or three or four months you know you, you have to read them all you have to read them in order and on the cover it says part 1 of 12 part 2 of 12 and oftentimes those first one or two chapters are setting the chess pieces on the chessboard and because there's so much overlapping of a b and c stories in gi joe i think we don't often see like Actually, with, with urgency, someone like Hawk or Duke saying like, "Okay, we're running. Everyone, like, get on this plane." That I already had ready to go, and so uh, that page, page fourteen of this, uh, was very exciting to me.
1: Um, yeah, you're talking about the the Genghis Khan opener. So it was five pages, of which two pages were a very rare splash page showing us that genghis khan was a historical figure who died uh, and i wrote i thought to myself at the time five precious pages telling us something that we already knew i i'm not 100 sure how i feel about the, that, that sequence I, I think stepping back it sort of makes for a breather and, and sort of a chain you know change of color and you know as you say a chance for, for larry to do a, something a little bit different and you know educate the the listeners to a, to a period of history as as well you know we all growing up reading GI Joe found out things that we never knew before uh, about historical figures and and so on, but the likes of Julius Caesar inventing the uh, the pizza and all that kind of thing so so uh, yeah in the in the moment, thinking, oh no, we've only anyway, we're counting down to issue three hundred. we've only got so many pages. let's make everyone count. And five of those written up by um, by showing us that Genghis Khan um, once upon a time died felt a little bit frustrating um, in the moment, but um, I can appreciate why it is there. And you know, with the news that we the GI J. will not be ending, that that Larry will be continuing to uh, write this thing, I think that mentally that makes me a little bit less stressed about these next few issues as as well I, yeah. I don't know whether you might be in that same space
0: uh i i think of it this way i i don't imagine genghis khan will be in issue 301 mm-hmm. so going back to your your worry that this is precious real estate given over to a something we know and B a character who doesn't have a big connection to G.I. Joe, I I think we're only gonna live with Genghis Khan in G.I. Joe for four more issues. But it's such an unusual scene. I yes, I was surprised that it went so long. It's and yes, on paper, like don't, you know, make this three pages, make this one page. 300's coming, we're out of time, we're out of time. It's so unusual. Uh, I'm willing to I'm willing to go with this. And because Hama has already had two scenes where Mindbender is exploring or talking about where Khan was buried and found. I don't, I I wouldn't say this was necessary, but I thought this was helpful because it turns out that Serpentor coming back was a misdirect. Wasn't Serpentor. It's Genghis Khan. They're not making a composite clone. They're just cloning, which for Cobra, lest we forget, is, is easy. Because they did it with Mindbender. And also they did it with Serpentor. And that was much harder. Ten people, not one. And while this flashback to Genghis Khan isn't him having lots of successes, which might sort of more nicely lead into him alive again, and then we can be worried for the Joes. I think there's something here in the theme of death and rebirth that Snake Eyes' personality inside Dawn's head, throw down, is Snake Eyes, isn't Snake Eyes, and then Mindbender is cloning someone, that if we witness Genghis Khan's death, then when he comes back, it has more punch in the moment and resonance for the the theme in these final issues.
1: Yeah, and and it also, I guess... You know as you're reading these 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 issues and it, every issue could be someone's first it's re-establishing for the audience this character that breaks out of the tube at the end yeah. it gives some weight to that you know this is G- genghis khan this was the world's greatest military leader and we've you know found out about that over the course of five pages of the, the beginning of the issue so when at the very end of the issue he's back it, it sort of gives you yeah, a little bit more heft also
0: i'm not about to compare gi joe to from hell and larry hama to alan moore (laughs) but in from hell alan moore does all of this research and he and eddie campbell do all of this exploration of who was jack the ripper and the the book does point to someone the book has a has an idea or make makes a makes a guess makes a claim, um, and we don't precisely know. I think after the book, a couple of years ago, some some evidence in uh, Liverpool suggested someone with some certainty. I don't know that full story, but interesting. Here we don't know a lot about Genghis Khan's death. We we as sort of people in 2020, and Hama here is depicting it. He has written the scene where you know I you know at 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 history.com it explains that uh, Khan was over 60 in failing health and may have succumbed to injuries incurred during a fall from a horse in the previous okay. year now Hama has I'm gonna guess read a couple articles or books recently or over time and has much more information than that I don't think hama was like, you know, I should show a scene with Genghis Khan in a flashback and, like, spends three minutes Googling it and reads the same one sentence I just did. I don't think that's what uh, Hama did. But he is either crunching together a couple different sources, picking the one that seems the most reasonable, or making up something based on some stuff that he read. Uh, And as you just said, I think there is more weight for this final page splash in this issue because we have just seen this guy, A, at some height of his conquering career and also be dying. And even if you don't like this guy, you don't know this guy, you can't be, you can't help but be a tiny bit affected by seeing someone fall off their horse and die. And then their spirit comes out of their body and sees their corpse and then goes to an afterlife. And so that panel, the bottom of page one, two, three, four, five, that does link up to once or twice later in the book where Khan is in his tube looking at Scarlet and she twice notices and then this final page where uh, he's back.
1: Yeah, Um, let's, um, now that you've raised it, let's talk about that Scarlet scene. I was almost tempted to cover this in Error Detected. Um, Because she does it once and then she she does it again? Exactly, yeah. There's one scene where Scarlet says, I swear that thing in the tube is watching, Sean. Oop and uh, then just a bit later, I swear that thing in the tube just turned its head to look up at me. So it's doing the same thing twice and using almost the same language. I feel, feel like just maybe another editorial pass could have improved that or, you know, have us say something different. It just feels redundant.
0: Um, I, I felt the same way. Okay, once is notable, three times is a pattern, Twice is uh, a sofa bed. It's neither a sofa nor a bed. And (laughs) sometimes when my students are like showing a film or a film in process and it's like someone wakes up, they go downstairs, they open the fridge, they get a snack, they go to bed, they can't sleep. They go downstairs, they open the fridge, they get a snack, they can't go to sleep. And then like, uh, you know, a satellite lands with aliens. I'm like, no, 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 rule of rule of threes. Have them go down to the fridge three times. It's like when you tell a joke, you know, it's like, and then this guy walks into a bar Then he walks into another bar. You don't stop then, right? The guy walks into a third bar. So I think, A, this one's a third one where Scarlet would say, now I know I'm not crazy.
1: Right. Mm -hmm. Because
0: I saw him do it again. Or like he put up his arm or he flipped the bird or he's frowning at me. Whatever. (laughs) He's rubbing his hands together. He's knocking on the inside. Okay. Um, And yes, you are correct. The dialogue is awfully similar for the first one and the second one. I think also in storytelling, uh, slightly different drawing one additional panel so that like the second incident has maybe like an additional beat, you know, where she's looking at us and then she turns her head and it's, it's from the same angle. But yes, I, I do agree with you that it it wasn't as effective or funny or spooky uh, as I think it's intended, but uh, I wouldn't call it a mistake, but it does, it does read as not as, not as punchy as it wants to be.
1: Something I was going to note on in, in this this issue was about the, the sit rep on the inside front front cover. Mm, mm-hmm. It's different. And, yeah, and well, we've seen it slightly before. So I think, you know, what, what ha- tends to happen with these things is that, you know, Larry makes it up as he goes along. He doesn't do like a, you know, a plot synopsis. Sy- is that a word? Um, synopsis. Plot- synopsis. Thank you, Tim. Uh, he doesn't do a plot synopsis uh, and then sort of doggedly s- stick to it, you know, f- for the purposes of the sol- for solicits. So it tends to be, I think, editorial, you know, get a rough idea of where Larry's, you know, going to go with things if, if he's not yet written it and then kind of lay out something that's vague enough in the in the sol- solicits, um, sort of indicating what might be happening in, in the issue, but, you know, it's not going to be doggedly held to. Um, so I think this is this, almost like the solicit Text, uh, And it's clear that, you know, maybe maybe that this is where they thought the story was going to go, but it hasn't got gotten there or, or hasn't gotten there yet. So, so Tim, do you think maybe you could read out what's what's in the in that front cover? Oh, sure. Cover in, and we in can my, uh, in my,
0: in my best know. in my best. Jack- so here I am. Here I am mixing the comic and the cartoon in my best Jackson Beck. <clears throat> All in part one, the final G.I. Joe, a real American hero story arc at IDW Publishing starts here, using a brand new casino on Cobra Island as a front. Cobra has been busy behind the scenes attempting to resurrect dangerous villains and heroes alike, all in the hopes of creating the deadliest Cobra army ever. It'll be up to the warriors of G.I. Joe to foil their arch enemies' evil machinations before it's too late. The fight for the fate of the world is barreling to a calamitous conclusion and it's time for every single player to go all in.
1: Yeah, so the the big element there is that Cobra is attempting to resurrect dangerous villains and heroes alike in the hopes of creating the deadliest Cobra army ever, which hasn't happened.
0: So Mindbender has referred to that. He wants to make a lot of snake eyes. But also it sounds like that sounds a little bit like Snake Hunt. It's like, oh, is every Joe going to be in this? Or is that the h- hyperbole of of comics plot summaries? You know, it's like, if you only read one X-Men story this year, this must be it. You know, it's like, lo, and there shall become a reckoning. You know, it's like, the thing is like, having tea with Alicia Masters on the cover or something. You know, and there's like a shout out. It's like, oh, that's not the biggest thing story ever. I was gonna say the reason why this copy felt different to me is that it refers to IDW. It it refers to the fact that the series is ending at hmm. IDW, which yeah, is yeah. just a just a small point of view uh, formatting thing. But you know, it's usually it's in the letters page where editor Tom Waltz says, "Look, wow, readers, wasn't that an exciting story? Lethal Larry Hama sure is bringing his A game, right?" And in the sit that's that's like third-person third, third person omniscient, but not emotional. You know, like, Snake Eyes and Duke are, stra- are trapped in jail. Scarlet's looking for them. As opposed to, you know, IDW is proud to present its 63rd story. Anyway, <laughs> just, just a small thing. Okay, what really stood out for me in this issue is what I'm going to call a first question mark and a not-quite-first, but an, uh, an unusual question. Uh, I know not to call anything a first in G.I. Joe because when I do, you you correct me later on. Like <laughs> 20, 20 issues ago, I said, is this the first time we've had thought balloons in G.I. Joe? And you said, maybe. And then the next episode, you said, no, we've had them seven and a half times before and here they are. Um, so I think a first on page five is this is the first ghost or spirit we have seen in a Larry Hama G.I. Joe comic. And my asterisk to that is Granny Demon in the aftermath of Snake Eyes' death and uh Dawn becoming Snake Eyes has referred to Snake Eyes' sort of spirits or like the sort of the demon possession of his like passionate, like fighting, like wanting to I think it was in around issue two fifty or two forty seven or so. But like, like when Snake Eyes was in a was in the zone because Storm Shadow put him there. Or do you remember this? Or you know, Dawn is like taking on Snake Eyes uh fighting seals. But I'm trying to remember. I don't think I don't think an artist drew a translucent upper torso. Mm. And here we have, and you know, Jay Brown adds glowing light and medium blue colors and 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 um replaces all the black lines with blue lines i think this is the first ghost we've seen in yeah. uh, gi joe comic books uh, not 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 in the cartoon right there 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 is an episode with where cobra actually makes three ghosts fight for it good episode but um so this is unusual and even yeah. with issues 49 and 50 And then Serpenter coming back around uh, 2.12, 2.15, 2.17. Um, So that's unusual. And then on top of that, this opening scene, this five-page flashback to 12.27, has narration in a way that Hama almost never does.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, Where the history lesson, right, panel two, page one, the great Khan of the Mongols has conquered more territory than Alexander the Great and Julius Caesar combined, but he is still not finished. And it continues um, uh, with his dialogue uh, on page three, Um, and then there is this narration on page five, and it's not a lot of narration, particularly if you're comparing it to, you know, like Stan Lee comics in the 80s or Chris Claremont comics, excuse me, 60s, Chris Claremont comics in the 80s. But for G.I. Joe, this is a lot. Usually someone on panel would be saying this, you know, four Joes are in the woods in uh, South America and like Stalker is saying like, for the benefit of the reader, like, okay, repeater, uh, now that lift ticket has dropped us off here, we just need to sit tight until we see so-and-so down in that base and then we'll do so-and-so. And then someone's like, Right, stalker, I'm here with my so-and-so weapon and I can lob a grenade so-and-so, right?
1: Yeah, we like... don't get that uh, that kind of removed unknown narrator <laughs> in the style of, I think, and I'm going to go for a highbrow reference here, Desperate Housewives. Yes, but the Khan of Khans was beyond help.
0: And, you know, like a slightly different, and this is, this is not a criticism. I just find this really interesting and different for G.I. Joe, particularly at the end of a long run. And I don't know if Hama thought, huh, I normally don't do narration. I feel I need to, or if he like just did it and then realized it or didn't after it. But I do feel like if he was to do this like 15 times in a row without like, we, we reset the timeline and he does it 15 times, I feel like Thirteen of the other fifty of the other ones, like Mindbender would be explaining this to Cobra Commander or Laura, or Mainframe would be explaining this to Duke. You know, it's like, oh, we just got some intel from Scarlet that they're trying to clone Genghis Khan, right? And then like Duke and Mainframe are like, give give us the history lesson, as opposed to effectively Larry Hama giving us the history lesson. And so, um, and I know that Hama doesn't like to write narration captions. And you see that in his work. Usually his captions look like this. Sierra Gordo, oh, 600 hours. Yeah. And then a couple pages later, back in Sierra Gordo, dot, dot, dot. So that was, that was uh, striking to me. I also realized after reading this issue and uh, thinking about it that um, for all of my confusion and light grumbling in the last couple of episodes with you, why is Serpentor coming back? That's not necessary. And it can be interesting, but I don't know if it's going to be interesting. Nope. It's not Serpentor. <laughs> it's Genghis Khan. And the, the, the sort of misdirect, or Hama um, figuring it out as he goes along, even hmm. continues onto the cover of Next Issue, which was drawn some time ago. And, you know, covers in comics like don't want to spoil things because they have to be in catalogs you know, two or three months ahead of time. So the cover to next month is Scarlet reacting to someone in this green cloning tube, and the person seems to be awake and aware, but the person is bald and hairless. It's not the Genghis Khan of this issue who's got hair and a beard and a mustache. And so when I saw this preview cover for what's going to be next issue some time ago, I I thought it was, you know, a good image, but also um like I guess it's serpentor cuz you know wouldn't serpentor come out of the tank you know smooth
1: yeah in- indeed and you know was was this cover just drawn before the 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 whole genghis khan um with with the hair and the beard was it you know with the thought that it might be someone else in the tube hard to hard to know without uh, asking uh, Shannon directly and and yeah, given that we know that often these covers have to be prepared long in advance of uh, the interiors, and, and knowing what happens on the inside, my conjecture would be that uh, it was the best stab of you know. We know that there's going to be these these tubes. We know that the, the, the that Scarlet's on this mission. Let's let's leave it as a bit of a mystery, and maybe something like that might happen on the inside. <laughs> maybe it won't, but. Uh, it, you know, it could be just an interesting cover slash misdirects slash anything at this point. If I, if I sort of just put a pin in your thought about the afterlife point as, as well, uh, I'll just note that I think the, si- the most similar thing that we see happening in terms of alluding to an afterlife is probably the doctor Venom, um, scenes where, oh, yeah, yeah. where his sort of, uh, his, robot brain is sort of closing down i think well he dies twice in the idw series i think and both times they're kind of hinting at a kind of afterlife and uh, there's quite a memorable scene where he's being haunted by a a vision of quinn Mm -hmm. pulled into the afterlife so um it's it's not it not entirely a ground a sort of a completely sort of ground that's been completely left untouched but yeah that idea of a spect a specter kind of leaving the body and
0: on on paper i should not like that but i'm just gonna remind myself here it's like no no many many years ago a ninja in this comic slowed his heartbeat so that he looked like he was dead and i don't know a lot about ninja or you know navy seals but i don't think you can do that and (laughs) maybe larry hama did a bunch of research on ninja Maybe he's just writing a comic that's, you know, 17 parts action adventure, one part fantasy, one part sci-fi. Um, I have a short list here of things that I like about this issue. Okay. Shall I shall I tick them off? Go on. Okay. Uh, roadblock does a roadblock thing <laughs> in this issue. And I like Roadblock doing roadblock things. Roadblock is really big and almost halfway into the issue. Roadblock kicks a door down. Specifically after Gung Ho says, I found the door to the utility corridor, but it's locked. And then Roadblock not only kicks down the door, he kicks it down while he's holding his, his heavy machine gun. And that panel reminds me of Ron Wagner's cover to the 1987 uh, Marvel G.I. Joe Special Missions trade paperback. Uh-huh which reprinted the backup to issue 50 and special missions 1, 2, 3, 4. Ron Wagner, and I think Bob McLeod did a new cover. There's a lot of black in it. Lady J and Roblock are knocking down a door and about to come through. And this is, not, this is not an homage. I'm sure this is not at all a reference to that. But it ends up kind of looking like it. Mm. Uh, that, that gets me excited. Um, and then continuing Roblox doing Roblox things uh, after he kicks down a door because he's big and strong. Wait, let's come up with a
1: roadblock rhyme for kicking down a a door. Out
0: of the way, gung-ho, so I can knock down that door. Unless these revamped robots uh, want a little more of my (laughs) browning 50 caliber. Uh. (laughs) So uh, then on the same page that he's kicking down the door, he does a second roadblock thing. Which is he uses his giant machine gun to mow down these robots who've been established several times as really tough to kill, and then several pages later, uh, with these these trio of Joes, Rock and Roll, Gung Ho, um, he does it again. Where Gung Ho says, uh, "Need to get that need to get that fifty cal barking again." The 556 and the 772 are barely chipping paint on them bats. brap. And Roblox says, I'm fixing that right up. And then turn the page and he mows down a bunch of these tough to kill armored robots. So twice in one issue, Roblox does the thing, you know, that we want him to do. You know, it's like in in G.I. Joe Retaliation, when Dwayne Johnson and... Uh, Duke have their little bet at the beginning, and Dwayne Johnson picks up this crazy gun and shoots the whole wooden post and wins the bet. It's like okay, it's, that scene kind of makes me roll my eyes, but it's like okay, check. You had roadblock do a, a roadblock thing.
1: Excellent. And uh, did you notice that each time those bots are blown away, their uh, little eyeglass flap is uh, flying off in the air as well? Hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. I wonder if that is uh, Shannon Gallant adding a little closure to this idea that they are not armored where their eyes are. And so visually depicting their eye 3d glasses, fold up thing mm-hmm. as, as separated uh, d- dots that eye and crosses that yeah. T. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, another little thing that I liked in the issue is uh, Gung Ho does appear to speak with his K- Cajun accent. I wasn't entirely sure. Right, I found the door to the utility corridor, but it's locked. All right, I don't, I don't see anything there. Go forward a couple more pages. Uh, I think it's that. Uh, just bloop some forty mic night grief on the ones sneaking up behind us. Like, okay, but need to get that fifty cal bargain again. The five fifty six and seven seventy two are barely chipping paint on them bats. And I'm aware of two things here. One, the device in comic books that someone with an accent their their dialogue can or should be written out phonetically. I'm thinking of uh, Chris Claremont, X-Men and New Mutants comics with Cannonball and Rogue, who are from the South. And, you know, like, Darlin' without a G. (laughs) Or uh, I'm, right? Rogue says I'm like I am, but it's A-H apostrophe M like am. Sugar. Sugar with an H. Sugar, sugar right. And I think, I don't know, I think that's okay, right? I love it in... Uh, Dave Sims, Cerebus when he draws his Mick Jagger and Keith Richards parodies and phonetically spells out and letters out their really thick British, very specific to a place, British accents. But there are people in the world where if you did that, that would be offensive. So I think maybe, maybe we don't do this anymore, but... The other thing that I'm aware of here in this scene with these scenes with uh, with Gung Ho is that I remember in the Marvel run, uh, he first shows up in issue 11, right when they're in the Arctic, right. the pipeline.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep.
0: And then I he shows about, up yeah. again with uh, Snake Eyes and Rock and Roll and Quinn and Doctor Venom in the uh, New Orleans or somewhere or San Francisco. Can't remember. And I remember somewhere in there, issue 10, 30, 50. Someone writes in and says, why doesn't Gung-Ho have his accent anymore? Hmm, yeah. And I think the answer is, we forgot, but in Marvel, <laughs> Letter- Marvel Letters pages don't admit mistakes. mistakes like that. And I sort of remember someone attempted a no prize, and it was something like, well, he's been with the Joes, he's sort of lost his accent and I don't know if they got a no-prize for that or not, and I don't remember other times Gung-ho has shown up since around issue fifteen or thirty, all the way to two ninety-six. I'm sure he was in Snake Hunt. I don't know if he spoke. But I'm sort of I'm pleased that there are two or so small nods to uh his accent. Cause you know, like in the in the in the cartoon, he does not have an accent. He just he does not have a Cajun accent, you know. In the cartoon, he does not talk like Gambit on the nineteen ninety two Fox. X-Men they saved cartoon. that for
1: Copperhead, right?
0: Yeah. Well, Copperhead, Copperhead has an accent, but is um, Gung Ho in the comic book? It's it, sorry. I, I should differentiate uh, with with Gung Ho and uh, um, Gambit. It's not just an accent; it's also a dialect. Like there are some different words mm. whereas with cannonball and rogue it is it is pronunciation like i sugar uh anyway so some something that i noticed
1: cool so at the beginning of this this issue we're sort of picking up from the last page of the previous issue where laura is with a group of vipers that catch the Joes unawares as they're coming out of the, the lab, the last page of the last issue, it seemed like Laura had them dead to rights. Whereas we pick up back in the, the lab where they're mid firefight. So yeah, sort of hunkered down in defensive position. Um, so there's a bit of time that has elapsed in between then. Do you feel, feel like that's encroaching a kind of hey what happened there but that you know they would all be yes. pretty much captured or yes you give that a pass no
0: uh i i thought oh good the joes aren't in as dire straits as i thought i want them to win and then i thought but but they were in dire straits what's changed
1: <laughs> yeah
0: like oh it's, it's the it's the it's the biggest page turn of them all the end of the issue and a month later I think you could wave that away with one line of dialogue, something like one of these vipers saying, "You know, like Laura, uh, we don't have as am- we don't have as much ammo as we thought," or, "Like ah, oh, we shot one of the air conditioning vents and some you know coolant has uh, blocked our view or something."
1: Yeah, well, they yeah um, they got back into the lab. You know that kind. of thing. Yeah, there
0: there's a lot of good dialogue and interplay here with. Laura pressing her soldiers to move move in different ways. Uh, Dr. Mindbender reacting negatively because he doesn't want his stuff to get shot. Uh, Scarlet reacting strategically. You know, Laura says, Vipers, you heard Dr. Mindbender. And remember that we're taking Snake Eyes alive. And Scarlet says, Joes, you heard Mindbender. Take cover behind Mindbender's fancy expensive equipment that they're not supposed to shoot. Right, and that's just that's A B. That's a panel, and the panel right after it. Yeah, I thought that was. Pretty and they're both they're both yelling. They both have their mouths open. They're both doing something with their hand. They're both doing something with their other hand. It is a small and nice uh, sort of pa- parallelism on it, page seven, I think, the top of the first two panels of page seven. Um, also, since I um, give the other GI Joe series uh, from the two thousands that we talk about. In our disavowed episodes, a hard time sometimes for not um, depicting the introduction or a reminder of a visual element. Clearly, I want to point out something nice here in issue two ninety six on page one two three four five six and seven. So we we cut back to the shootout in Mindbender's lab, and in the first panel on page six. Mindbender's arms are behind his back, you're not sure why. And the Viper he's with, Jeffrey. He's also leaning forward and his arms are back, and you're not sure why. They're cropped. And then the next panel, we don't see them in the next panel. Again, they're both sort of hunched forward in a way that suggests they, they have handcuffs or their hands are bound, but you don't you can't actually see it. And then on the next page, page seven, in panel three, it's not it's not drawn big and it's not colored super contrasty, but you can see that there are uh, shackles around Dr. Mindbender's wrists. So that is just a small example of, sure, if you're reading the trade paperback, you're reading this sort of in one sitting, you know that Mindbender is handcuffed. And (laughs) to your joke before, every issue, even the fourth to last issue of a series that's been running for 12, 12 years, is someone's first issue and they might not have read the previous issue. And they might be thinking, why is Dr. Mindbender sitting in such a funny way, right? It's like, no, no, no. On the second page of this scene, Gallant does reestablish. So you can see it that Mindbender's hands are tied.
1: Talking about dialogue. There's one that I saw prompted a little bit of discussion on the boards, um, which was an incinerator talking to a toxo viper. And he says, this CG officer, Laura seems to know what she's doing more so than Cobra Commander or Dr. Mindbender. It's uh, so a little bit of a surprise from the Cobra ranks that uh, their commanding officer actually seems to be, uh, you know, have a little bit, uh, what's the right word? Seems seems to be, yeah, in control, know what they're doing uh, as opposed to their normal hapless leaders. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Tim?
0: I was pleased that a lower Cobra soldier recognized it and said so because i thought oh Laura seems to be doing a good job here oh the the cobras think so too Um, (laughs) but also the the comparison is unflattering you know cobra commander loses loses a lot of his momentum and menace if he's you know less than competent and you know like what have we seen in the last two issues he's like talking to tourists at his Mm -hmm. at his casino but at the same time it's like well he used to be a used car dealer uh, and, you know, in those flashbacks in the Marvel series, when he's giving his speeches, when he starts wearing a mask, but he's not, you know, a global terrorist yet, it's like, no, there there would be a part of Cobra Commander's personality which is going to glad hand. But, you know, I do think, you know, what the series wants in the last, you know, 30, 50 issues is a a, a decisive win for Cobra that feels... Like Cobra Commander is a terrible person. And I don't mean injuring or killing a Joe. I mean in the way that uh what is issue is it issue forty-two when when Cobra Island is created and Cobra gets it? You know, like something like that. It doesn't have to be like issue 156 when Cobra takes the White House. I never really bought that. But you know, I do if I could if I could rewind 10 or 15 issues. You know, Cobra Commander always seems overextended.
1: Yeah, it was a great it was a great beat that that issue uh, where the creation of Cobra Island that the, the Cobras are thinking strategically they're several steps ahead of the Joes and and ultimately they they have a victory in at the end of that issue where they've got Cobra Island and the Joes have to kind of walk. Back with their the tails between their their legs, it was uh, yeah, a great moment.
0: Isn't there isn't there something like that in the Snake Eyes trilogy or ahead of it where the Joes can't actually go into the Cobra Consulate building because it's it's like an embassy, it's mm-hmm. like sovereign territory. Am I am I making this up? Hawk says don't go there, or you can't go there, or someone and says, then, you then they can't go, go anyway. There. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, right. I mean, that's absolutely. You know, I, I sort of wonder in the. Um, Hama taking side and supporting characters and elevating them, you know, Billy, for example, I sort of wonder, like, oh, instead of Laura turning her back on Cobra and letting Snake Eyes go free, is she going to be in charge (laughs) by 300? You know, Hama has said he's not going to kill anyone in 300. Not sure that that counts for Genghis Khan, but...
1: That would be an interesting turn of events. Say, say, suppose you know we've been thinking that that Laura's gonna, you know, defect to uh, you know sh- that that she's got this sympathy for the Snake Eyes and for for the Joes, and we've been spe- you know looking at uh, them sort of laying the track really for for her sort of you know making a turn and joining the Joes, or at least not not you know wanting to to capture and kill snake eyes but but what if that's all a kind of a a a misdirect and uh and she goes completely other way and then um yeah ends up becoming the all new different female cobra commander or something
0: now we we have seen a female cobra commander at the very very end of the idw continuity Mm uh the gi joe comics that weren't written by hama um after all of the sort of Crossovers with Transformers in the final two or three issues of the series that's called Scarlet's Strike Force. Uh, the, the Baroness becomes Cobra Commander and they call her Cobra Commander. Also, that happened in Tom Scioli's Transformers and G.I. Joe, right? Transformers yeah. versus G.I. Joe, right? Isn't there like a woman Cobra Emperor at the end? Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, anyway. I, I'm ready for anything to happen with Laura. I also think it's possible if depending on what Hama's sort of goal for the next series is and the sort of editorial n- nudges he gets you know if if it really is 301 and not new number 1 Laura may be a conflicted CG in 301 and you know maybe she sort of fades out at 3 <laughs> 306, or maybe she does become a good guy by, you know, 309 or something. But if if she turns out to be evil, I don't know that there's setup yet for that. But there does feel like a lot of setup for her to renounce Cobra or renounce Cobra and help the Joes. I had a uh, a thing that I thought was uh, fascinating, and I wanted to ask you about it. On page 12 in the first panel, uh, the Night Creeper is using a machine gun that is also a crossbow. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you is that how you see the Night Creeper action figures crossbow with five bows on it? Or is that just a cool thing that, like, Gallant threw in there?
1: I think this is just a cool thing, to be honest. Okay. I never, yeah, I would never have interpreted that original Night Creeper's weapon as looking like that. But I think it's a cool touch. Yeah, I, uh, I turned
0: the page and I said, "Whoa."
1: Yeah, it's neat. It's sort of, you know, it's the the new, the modern of the of the kind of the machine gun with the kind of the old of and sort of night creeper aspects of of having a a, a crossbow. So, yeah, you, in a firefight situation, clearly an automatic weapon is going to be better than a, just a standard old crossbow, but uh, when you're sneaking about, you want a, a crossbow and and any gun or crossbow expert will probably tell you that it's a little bit, it's not necessarily a particularly realistic way of uh, having either of those things working, but um, as a, as a concept,
0: it's quite cool. I imagine there would be two different triggers because you, you wouldn't, you definitely wouldn't use the crossbow while you're also firing bullets.
1: Mm, yeah.
0: On the opposing page, there's another little thing that I just a nice touch in the storytelling uh, where we cut back to Joe headquarters and psych out, stalker, Duke, mainframe are looking up at a screen, and Scarlet is calling in and saying, things are bad here, we need backup. And in the two panels where she's on the screen that they're looking at, and then also a close-up of the screen, she's talking into her sort of Joe pad, you know, her her iPad tablet for communication, her, her, her video phone computer. And She's holding it out in front of her and in both panels, her, her left arm, the arm on the right uh-huh. is foreshortened at uh, quote us at the actual camera in this electronics device. Just, just a small little thing, just paying attention to body language uh, which I, which I appreciate. Um, and then in that final panel, uh, you know, I don't, I don't love the coloring in this issue and I'll just point out one example final panel of this page where we're in the pit scarlet's on screen talking to these four joes you know duke duke is pointing in this final panel and you know his complexion is this sort of um, rotting purple caucasian <laughs> and his hair is this like okay sandy, you did say rotting
1: de- purple right
0: yes and his hair is you know it's, a, it's a sandy desaturated blonde okay and then his, his shirt is it's like you can't decide what it is it's like it's not his mustard yellow shirt. It's it looks sort of like was it the figure that had the jetpack and the open mouth where his shirt is like <laughs> white but a little a little green or am i thinking of a comic 2pack from 5 years ago? So, you know, here his shirt is this sort of it's like not the right color, but it's also got these really bright highlights on it, I guess, but <laughs> if if there's highlights from that computer screen with Scarlet, like, that's blue. So, and his teeth are, like, the brightest thing in the panel. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and then the gradient and the, the background, the background is, like, it's like a pickle. Not a, not in texture, but it's, it's a, it's like a, a muddy, it's too much black in that green. There's a lot of, look at it, or look around his hand. There's a lot of black in that green, and then there's less black in the green around his head. Mm-hmm. Anyway. <laughs> Um, but, you know, in, hey, incinerators showed up and did you, did you look into this? Is This can't be the first time we've seen incinerators.
1: So I did not go back and double check. I think it probably is. There's, there's always a chance that they might have snuck in somewhere and I've forgotten about it. I feel um, like it's possible. Maybe during, um, were they, maybe were they during, in
0: the, um, yeah, were they in the pit, uh, when Snake Eyes and Serpentor died? feel like there was i feel like i've seen there's a chance there's a chance but
1: but there's also a chance it's the first appearance
0: well i I do i do think i I do think that they did not show up in 1991 92 when andrew wildman was drawing the book i do feel somewhat confident in saying that uh but you know every every time i i make an absolute first time (laughs) word a thought balloon right not true Uh, There's there's some good uh, sword slashing and bloodying of various vipers from the ninjas. There is in this issue.
1: Yeah, most of the on-screen deaths occur through. uh, So most of where guns are being shot, they tend to hit robots. Uh, Where people are being shown uh, being badly wounded or killed, it uh, is via a bladed weapon
0: uh what one more one more thing this this is half color and half uh drawing as as great a job as gallant is doing on this issue with a, a tough deadline long range is costume in those two panels where long range shows up i never had long range i sure wanted the thunderclap but um his costume is a little underdrawn it's missing one or two details and it is colored he's colored like payload yeah like just just a blue or aqua with some white. Like no 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 no. He's got gloves. Okay. He's got he's got an armor ch- chest thing or a vest. He's got he's got pants. He's got legging boots boot leggings. Like like the Baroness. You know like thigh high insulated. Those are gray. His pants are dark green. His shirt is uh sort of a uh, you know a, a leather neck green. Yeah. <laughs> like muskrat absolutely muskrat is two colors sure just you know his his aqua and his you know caucasian sure
1: hard top i think i think you were thinking of hard top
0: oh when i said payload right yeah. okay sorry payload is all white with a little bit of yellow or a little bit of orange right hard top is the guy who comes the, the second guy who comes with the defiant yeah, yeah. yes okay so, thank you hard top is hardtop looks like he wandered in from a fisher price line (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's like you know construction guy i work on a big tank thing that's got a space shuttle on it
1: yeah and he's sort of like a more of a baby blue than the green that's yeah Uh, and
0: um, i i will in 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 everyone's and everyone's defense uh artist and colorist and letterer uh this this is a hard book to do deadlines are never good and there's an additional layer of approvals because it's a licensed book so you know hasbro gets to see it and you know say yes or no or maybe you know take a couple extra days to get back to them
1: let's talk about sfx baby let's talk about pew and scream let's talk about shooting gun things and the sound effects we'll see let's talk about sfx let's Let's talk talk about about SFX. sfx
0: There's some nice. Uh, uh, Neil Yotake continues to pick some nice uh, fonts and font treatments for lettering. When dawn blows up the incinerator, the foosh is a is a fiery font, and the letters are offset. One's up, one's down, one's up, one's down. Or sorry, it's a f- foom. F o o o m h. Okay, it's not a foosh. Excuse me. And then uh, second to last page, when the tank crashes open and the green cloned soup splashes over Scarlet and Snake Eyes, throw down who are taking cover behind this, this cylinder, this glass cylinder of uh, lemon-lime Kool-Aid. Crack, the, the, the feathering on the bottoms and the tops of all these letters in crack is a very Marvel Silver Age treatment. Maybe also DC. I don't know my lettering history. I'm sorry. And anyway, but that's the letters are they're smaller on the sides, they're bigger in the middle, and they're they're sort of they're curved. And then the same thing happens with sploosh, right? The O's in the middle get a little bigger, and there's a little bit of a bend uh, to these. But but great sort of like cartooning in in the design and placement and treatment of these of these two sound effects. And then you know, behind behind the, the glass.
1: The cut behind the glass as well, which is, makes it much harder than, you know, that some effort involved in actually trying to achieve that effect. And I guess the, the shape and color of the, of the lettering, making it evocative of the breaking glass on the crack and the, and the splooshing mountain the liquid, dew the li- on.
0: The liquidity. Yeah. Of the, the of, mountain uh,
1: mountain. yeah, the sploosh, uh, have you got through your, your tick list of things that you noticed and liked? Yes. One thing that slightly frustrated me was that the Joes were boxed into the lab with the utility corridor, the only way in and out. Uh, whereas previously the plot went to great lengths to show us that the lab can be accessed via the kitchen, which is how Jinx got in there. Hmm. So strange that the Joes have forgotten that they can get out that way strange that the cobras have forgotten that they can get in that way perhaps i'll remember next issue
0: is there anything where the is there a reason why the joes wouldn't want to hmm, back up into the kitchen
1: i don't know there's there was some uh hmm. <laughs>
0: there
1: was some nasty looking bats kitchen bots that were in there <laughs> right. the butcher bot
0: um i didn't like that once again there is no letters page please idw running out of time. <sighs> need a letters page. I I have a little sense of community every month when one or two fellow fans write in and say something they like and make a request and sometimes say something they don't like and Larry says, you know, I'll think about it or this is why I did that. And then Tom Waltz says, Lila Larry Hama is writing a great story. I can't wait for next issue.
1: I need this. And presumably right about now, they're probably assembling issue 300. So if you were to write in this month, I guess there's a fighting chance that you might have an issue, a letter published for issue 300.
0: I don't think they're going to have a letters page in 300. I think they're going to have a page for Waltz. I think Waltz is going to have a column. Hama will have a page. Gallant will have half a page. I think Jay Brown may have a column or half a page because he's been on this for so long. And then I think there'll be a paragraph at the end where Waltz wraps it up and says, thanks to everyone else who contributed to this series. And while we won't be continuing this story, you know, keep keep your eyes peeled for news. If you're a GI Joe fan, mm. I feel like there's going to be two pages of text that will replace the letters page. And in a final issue, I'm totally fine with that. Marvel did that in 155.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: But there had also been letters pages in the previous months uh, at the Marvel book. And Hey, IDW, if this is only time, like, you know, if this is mm, please, <laughs> please. <laughs> okay. And this isn't selfish. It's not like I've been writing in letters and I want to see them in print. It's like, no, I've I've gotten some letters printed. I feel great, thanks. It, with my time machine, I would mail the letter that I wrote to Postbox the Pit around issue 92, which I, I wrote but didn't mail. I don't think it would have gotten printed, but I've had three letters printed in Chiajio Comics, so I feel if this isn't selfish. This is this is selfish in the other way. I want to read letters by other people. <laughs>
1: I, I spy, spy with, with my little eye. My first eye spy. <laughs> I've only got two left after after you spoiling my eye spies. Uh, one of them was, was, was a ghost. Uh, one of them was Genghis Khan. Comparing him to the cartoon, mm-hmm. um, I looked back at the the Genghis Khan appearance in uh, the Arise Serpentor Arise episode to see how his designed. Compared, because I, th- I thought the sort of the colour scheme was somewhat uh, cartoony because of the the c- quite bright colours. And while the design is quite different, there are some components that uh, have some similarities. So on his breastplate, there is a big sort of golden medallion, which um, is sort of somewhat evocative of that design. Uh, and there's a lot of sort of red going on, red and purples going on. Possibly coincidentally, possibly intentionally, that I think they might have uh, looked back to uh, Genghis Khan of the cartoon to see uh, see if they could capture some of that.
0: Um, my eye spy is on the cover. Uh, there's a little bit of text on the craps table. There are some numbers, both as numerals four, five, eight, ten, and as words six spelled out, nine spelled out. I don't know how to play craps. I've never played craps. Um, but on before all the numbers, it says "Don't Cobra Line," and I think in craps normally that would say "Pass Line." And I I don't quite know what the reference or joke here is, but I think it's like. Uh. Okay, sorry, I'm looking at a different part of craps table. There's a line, one says pass line and one says don't pass bar. So I think think the joke here is like cobra cobra something. Like don't cobra line, don't pass line, don't go over line. Maybe cobra line sort of rhymes with over? Don't cobra line, don't go over line. Anyway, uh, I 72% understand and appreciate this joke. (laughs) <laughs> um, but the font is really nice. Neil Yotake, that's a nice font. And the, you know, Sh- Shannon Gallant definitely drew all of the white lines and then Neil Yotake or a letterer at IDW, probably Neil Yotake definitely laid in that text. And I think it's him and not the artist because, uh, like the, like the title all in part one for foreign translations that's a layer you turn off in Photoshop. So a letterer in another country at another publisher could type it in, in their language. Anyway, uh, don't Cobra line. That's my iSpy.
1: My last iSpy is the very final page, which has um, Genghis Cobra stepping out of a broken tank. It is very, very similar to the cover to issue 210. Features Serpentor stepping so, out of a broken tank. Oh yeah,
0: which drawn by the same artist, drawn by the same and, artist, yeah. and colored by the same colorist.
1: Stop. Have a time. Time to beat the souls of your boots with my face. Sucking chest wounds. Red ninjas, brain scanners, rubber it blue ninjas, and then some more sucking chest wounds. Have a time just have some of that real hammer terminology coming into play so so we've got a reference to rules of engagement all over the place um, we've got dawn saying no plan survives the first five minutes of combat which is, is something we are well aware of uh, as uh seasons gi joe readers and we have got lots of uh, reference to the caliber of the joe's weapons as they are using quoted that already tim uh, gung-ho talking about his 40 mic mic uh, and the 50 caliber and the 5.56 and 7.72 chipping uh, not chipping the bats paint
0: It's a Larry Hammer colloquialism. He's talking G.I. Joe and all its heroism.
1: Can you guess what it is? Is it something new? Now listen as Larry drops a slice of real life on you. I also had uh, a colloquialism. Roblox says, I feel the same about robots who violate the first law. So that being a reference to Isaac Asimov's first law of robotics. So the first law of robotics is that a robot may not injure a human being through it or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm. Uh, The second law being uh, a robot must obey the orders given to it by a human except where orders would conflict with the first law and the third law being that a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. So uh, yeah, the robot here is uh, trying to harm a human, specifically the G.I. Joe team. Therefore, uh, it, you know, Roblox is um, within his rights to blow them apart with his mild juice. Quote of the week, Quarter 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 of the week. My favorite line of dialogue was this one scarlet says so the doorway from the utility corridor that is now full of cobra vipers combat assaulting this lab is the only way in or out which is uh actually re- referencing back to uh to the um uh, kitchen that i was talking about before anyway uh, and uh, this is the favorite bit dr mindbender says that would seem to be your problem not mine <laughs> that's a you problem thanks dr mindbender Tim, did you have a favorite line or?
0: Yeah, half ha- halfway through the issue, I've referred to this page where Duke is leading seven Joes and some vehicles onto the C-130. They're running. He, he calls them out by name and he says, While well, Bill's cranking up the C-130 and I had our weapons and field gear loaded. I like that it's already ready to go. And on the previous page, he says to Scarlet, you'll have to hold out for at least three hours, right? I'm launching a relief mission immediately. So, there's a little bit of okay Cobra Island is it's it what's near Puerto Rico and Cuba or it's in the Gulf of Mexico right and oh, Mexico, yeah. Joe HQ is in Utah and so how fast can a c130 mm. and a stealth fly from Utah to the Gulf of Mexico so I I like you know I like that kind of of connective tissue you know one of, one of my slight confusions and annoyances with the 1980s Transformers and G.I. Joe cartoons as a kid was that I never really knew where anything was you know there's an episode of G- Transformers where the Transformers seem to drive from like Washington State to Washington D.C. in like a moment you know like in, in one scene or like over an ad break um, and I, I don't know where Joe headquarters is in the cartoon uh, anyway, so uh, I like this line. I already had our gear loaded. Like, awesome, Duke. Awesome. <laughs> Very uh, good. Not my favorite line is not the joke about uh, Ghost Rider. Uh, I do like that joke, but uh, I liked I liked I like Duke's planning ahead even more. So my uh, sort of philosophical question for you, my character motivation question for you, is on page six, after the. Genghis Khan flashback we cut back to the the Joe and Laura and Viper standoff that we left off with in the previous issue and Laura says we outnumber you and we have fire superiority you are trapped and the outcome is inevitable and then she says Mark lay down your weapons and we guarantee safe passage off the island so I wanted so and I i I meant to bring this up. This is maybe the most interesting thing of the issue. And besides all the, you know, DNA and flashbacks and Genghis Khan. And we sort of talked about this in a roundabout way already. Is Laura becoming a good guy, staying a bad guy, becoming a worse bad guy? Do you take her at her word here? Huh. Oh. would she guarantee them safe passage off the island? Or is she trying to trick them? Or would she want to provide safe passage and then Cobra Commander or someone or one of her Vipers would say, no, 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 we're locking them up and we're going to execute them or ransom
1: them. Hmm. Yeah, I don't think she's in a position to guarantee it, is she? So, and also one of her main objectives is to to capture Snake Eyes so that he can be plugged in to a scanner. So I think she's being nefarious. Hmm. You'd think. Hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: I, I feel like... In the moment of a firefight, there is no need for Scarlet to respond like, we don't believe you <laughs> because you know, they're just they're just shooting they're, The Joes are trying to kill vipers and get out and protect themselves. But I, I can imagine in a slightly different version of this scene, there would be a little room for uh, some of this back and forth where Scarlet does respond. I'm also fine with Scarlet not responding because the Laura is is yelling and the Joes are yelling because there's all this, it's all this machine gun fire. It's loud, right? There are, this is not one of those sound effect, Uh, This is not one of those modern comic books where there are no sound effects because sound effects are old fashioned and silly and comics without sound effects are sophisticated and mature like Watchmen and The Dark Knight Returns. And you have to sort of remind yourself that there's actual volume and noise in a scene. No, there are there are sound effects in the scene. We know it's loud. Uh, blam, 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 blam. Uh. <laughs>
1: um, I was just looking up Tim, uh, on, on Google, the distance from Utah to, uh, the Gulf of Mexico. And it's approximately 1,500 miles. And Are you also looking up the top speed of a C-130? The, t- the top speed of a C-130 <laughs> is 590 kilometers per hour. So the approximate time for a C130 at top speed to get from Utah to the Gulf of Mexico would be around about 3 hours.
0: <laughs> um uh I I think I think Mr. Larry Hama was thinking of this months and months ago. Yeah. And you know I can't think of any at the moment but certainly there are incidences like this in the past. 300 or so issues of G.I. Joe where there is a a timetable and a distance to be covered and and someone's calling it out, you know, like Barovia or something, you know, it's like, well, this tank only has a half tank. Uh, excuse me. This tank only has a half tank of gas. You know, we're not going to make it to the train in time. The train is so-and-so far away. I wish uh, Hasbro would uh, w- would release a, a Laura... What's her number? 303? Oh I,
1: I think never is it 347? Okay. Uh, something. I I, I, just,
0: something. I just I just Laura what's what's this issue number? 296. Laura's 296. <laughs> I wish uh, Hazra would make a a Laura Crimson Guards person action figure. Mm. Uh with I guess you wouldn't do removable helmet. I guess you'd do replaceable head. Mm. But that that you know, you need it you need a new sculpt for a, a different body type for the um, crimson crimson guard but there there have been female cobra soldiers cobra officers in yes, the modern true, era true. and has there been a yeah did they recolor do they recolor retaliation yeah they recolored retaliation jinx and turned her into a kind of a new take on Viper.
1: they i think the Closest parallel actually is that they've released a female hiss tank operative as part of the Hiss Tank um, Kickstarter.
0: Oh right. Right. Is she in red, like the classic hiss tank driver?
1: I am racking my brains. I think it was a basically a female a red female version of the hiss tank.
0: Cool. Well, they okay. They've got the they've got the body type and the color right. So, customizers, for now, it's up to you to turn that into yeah. Laura, Laura two ninety six. I know she's not two ninety six. Uh, are you considering backing the the uh, his tank? Kickstarter yes, yes. I did.
1: Um, we, as the clock was counting down, I was getting a fear of missing out. I was holding out, thinking, are they going to drop one more last exclusive in the final days? Hmm. Uh, i have but i have i have somewhat somewhat reluctantly backed it um just uh, but it yeah because it does look amazing
0: because it's so darn big <laughs> yeah like, where well, am i, I going to put this thing like, well if i got rid of these 10 hardcovers and cleared this one shelf i could put right, this giant it. tank
1: uh, i to have to get rid of some books off of my
0: bookshelf all right that's <laughs> uh, and that then that's the issue
1: yeah so Witch. Six. Yep. Okay. I'll go seven. Yeah. Lots of fun. Good action. Good dialogue. Uh, A couple of qualms, um, which might potentially be resolved as the uh, story progresses. I had a, uh, if we take just a couple of minutes, I did have a new feature, which I wanted to test out on you, uh, Tim, which is somewhat tied into the theme of, of the story at the moment. Uh, my new quiz is called Serpent Or?
0: <laughs> I'm ready to be
1: embarrassed. Is it a serpent? serpent or? Is it something else? Is it something else? Well, if it's a serpent, it's a really snaky serpent. Really, really snakey snakey serpent. serpent. what a jingle so the the idea behind this is that i'll i've got a list of serpents snakes names and i've got a list of something else and you have to decide whether it is a serpent or something (laughs) else okay uh so so this week we have got some different adders and some different spiders common spiders of uh, common spider species of Australia. So I will say something, and will it be a uh, an adder or will it be a spider? So let's go first up. Desert death. Desert death adder or desert death spider? Adder. A ding adder. Uh, tent. tent adder
0: I think instead of you saying ding, it should be a little clip from the cartoon of "This I Command." <laughs> um, sorry, what was the second one?
1: Uh, tent. Uh, that's a spider. He's a spider. Common spitting snake. That is Out. a spider.
0: Oh, <clears throat> oh, uh, 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 from the movie "Farewell, Worm." <laughs> Best line in the movie. Sombrero. Spider.
1: Spider. It is a spider. Uh, Many horned. Spider. Uh, That is an adder. (sighs) Dwarf sand. With a W? Dwarf. Dwarf. Dwarf sand. Adder. Dwarf sand. Spider. Adder. It is an adder. Ding, ding. Okay, last one. Pirate. Spider. It is a spider.
0: Oh, what what was that? Seven out of eight? Do I do I get your classified hiss?
1: <laughs> is that the prize? Okay. Ding ding ding.
0: Oh, Maybe I should just get your, your used childhood cobra adder. <laughs> which well, I never, which, had I never which I never had.
1: No, I didn't either. I didn't get a regular release in the UK. So there we go um that was serpent or something else um,
0: farewell Worm!
1: <laughs> cool
0: i i guess the i guess the hearth if i'd lost completely, if I'd gotten all seven or eight wrong, it would your life has ended
1: uh cool so uh i'll i think uh, that might make a future return as uh, we join as you join us next time on talking joe on the ara episodes we will be continuing to cover the issues as they come out so 297 all in part 2 which is currently due 31st of august as the fortnightly ish gi joe continues i think this one has got a 3 week uh, gap between issues and of course, we will also be covering uh, our historical look back on the Devil's Jew era as uh, as we sort of come to the uh, last few issues of the Brendan Jura run. Uh, Tim, where can people find you
0: with my creative partners at Atomic Abe? Dot com. Our YouTube channel is Atomic Abe Productions. My brick and mortar comic book store is Hub Comics in Somerville, Massachusetts. And my GI Joe blog is A Real American
1: And you can find the show on the usual places. Talkingjoe.co.uk is the website that has links to those places. Uh, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, and more. We are also on Patreon. Big thanks to our backers, Richard, Sam, Jay, Bill, Christopher, Justin, and Rob, who are getting early access to episodes, as well as some exclusive content. And that is us done. But remember that...
0: Nobody Beats Talking Joe, an international podcast!
1: Laters.